If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses, uh, chapter 5, verse 25 through chapter 6, verse 5. Galatians 5, 25 through 6, 5, where we will be this morning. We can almost just dismiss now. Amen. I mean, Brother Larry, thank you for that word this morning, and uh, my heart's already been touched and just feeling the presence of God this morning in worship. Thankful for his presence today. Galatians chapter 5, continuing on in our study in Galatians, and today we're looking at Life in the Spirit, part 1. Life in the Spirit, part 1. So if you found your place there in Galatians chapter 5, stand with me, if you will, in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Now I want you to think about this as, we're, as I begin reading. Verses, uh, chapter 5, verse 25 and 26 work as transitional sentences into chapter 6. So just keep that in mind as we read this this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another to... Uh, provoking one another envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, or each will have to bear his own load. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us this morning and write your eternal truth on all our hearts. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I was talking to a man the other day, and he was telling me a, a story about when he used to play football uh, years ago in a very small rural town of Louisiana. Uh, the town was so small, the school was so small, that they had to recruit people all the way down to the sixth grade to get enough people to play high school football. I mean, it was a small school, but they wanted to play football, so they did the work and they recruited all the boys from uh, senior high all the way down to, to sixth grade to, to build the team. And so the team began to practice together and they began to work up till game day. And game day came, and they were excited about hitting the field and getting to play football. They were a real football team. And so they, they started out towards the football field, and there was a young man, one of the younger, younger classmen there. He was excited. He was gung-ho, ready to go in. Oh, put me in, coach. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. I'm ready to play. And, and the coach just kind of ignored him and went on about it. And they got out there on the field and began to play. Well, they were playing against a team that was... Well, some pretty big old boys out there, and they were some real bruisers. And so as the game began to, to, to be played, uh, they, they experienced some injuries right off the bat. 
some people got hurt on this little small town school team. And one person got hurt, then another person got injured, then another person got taken out of the game. And so finally the coach turned to this younger classman there. He says, all right, get your helmet on. You ready to go in? Let's go get them. Go get them. Go get them. And he looked back at him and said, oh, no, coach, I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. I, I really don't want to play. You see, when he was coming in, you know, he was, he was excited about being part of the team. He wanted to play, and he, he, he liked the idea of being on the team, but he really didn't want to get his hands dirt, dirty, and he certainly, he certainly didn't want to take a chance on getting hurt. You know, sometimes I think we Christians are a lot like that. We want to be a part of the team. We don't want to be a part of the church. But we don't always want to get our hands dirty. We don't always want to get involved. We don't, certainly don't want to get hurt, take a chance on getting hurt by someone. But you know, for a spirit-led Christian, that's just simply not an option. For a spirit-led Christian, that is absolutely, positively not an option. And that's what our passage teaches us today. For the spirit-led life is a life fully engaged in a community of believers. The Spirit-led life is a life fully engaged in a community of believers. That is, a Spirit-led life is a life that is fully engaged in the life of the church. So last week, as we, we looked at last week's passage there up in verse five, or chapter 5, last week we, we learned that a life justified by faith alone, as we've been looking throughout Galatians, a life justified by faith must walk by the Spirit, putting to death the works of the flesh and living to, to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Now this week, as we continue down, and that's why I say those last verses there in, in chapter 5, they're transition sentences. Now we're getting into the heart of the matter. Now Paul is going to show us, last week he showed us that, that what a spirit-led life looks like. It's a life that puts to death the, the works of the flesh and lives to produce the, the fruit of the Spirit. But now, how does that look in our day-to-day -day living in the life of the church? Well, that's what he's going to show us today. As we begin to look at this, these next passages, in fact, uh, that's why I say this is life in the Spirit part one, because all of chapter six here is really about what life in the Spirit looks like on a day after day basis in the life of the church. So we're looking at that first paragraph today, and we're looking today at three commands for Spirit-led Christians. Three commands for Spirit-led Christians. And I, my hope today is that you would just be encouraged to live life led by the Spirit. That you would be led by the Spirit and engage, fully engage in the life of the church so that you might see the fruit of the Spirit in your own life. So let's look at this then this morning. Three commands for the Spirit-led Christian. Three commands for Spirit-led Christians. The first command that we see here is that we are to restore the broken. Spirit-led Christians are to restore the broken. We see that in this verse here, that first verse there. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. We are to restore the broken. You know, as I was thinking about this this morning, our, the Christian life sometimes uh, is kind of like a new car. 
We can think of it as a new car. When you, when you go out and you buy a new car, man, you get that new car and you step in that and, and it's so nice and clean and pristine and, and it's got that, ah, that new car smell, right? We love it. It's clean, it's pristine, it's got that smell, and we want to keep it that way. So we leave the little paper mats down in the floorboard so we can kind of keep even our floor mats from getting messed up too quick. right? We leave it all the way that way, and we're on our guard. No eating and drinking in my car. No eating and drinking allowed. No, 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 we're not going to start that. We're not going to start that. And so we're on guard. But then, you know, a few days pass, maybe a month, maybe even two if you're really hardcore about it, you really want to preserve it. Maybe a couple of months pass by. Usually we only get a couple of weeks, but uh, maybe a couple of months at most, and, and, and you kind of get used to things. And so you, you're kind of running late for work one morning, and, and you haven't finished your cup of coffee, so you throw it in your Yeti mug, and you, you take off, and, and, you, and you, now you're drinking coffee in this new car, right? Well, then life continues on, and then uh, it, you're, you're late for, for soccer practice one, time, one day or a soccer game, and you got all the kids, all the families in there, and, and you really don't have time to stop and get anything to eat. So, so you, you run up to Sonic, see old Scott down there at the Sonic, and, and you say, you order everybody brown bags, and you start, all right, well, now here we're eating. Be careful now. Don't spill anything. Y'all be careful. Right? And maybe someone drops a fry or something like that. Maybe gets a little grease on the, the, the dashboard there. But hey, nothing that a vacuum and a little armor all won't take care of, right? And so uh, you're, you're relaxing a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. But then one day, you got that Route 44 Coke sitting there in the, in the cup holder. And someone slams on their brakes in front of you, and you slam on your brakes to keep from hitting them, and all of a sudden that Route 44 goes off in the floorboard. Now you've got Coke all in the floorboard. The dirt gets kind of matted in it. Now it's just a mess. Oh, there's no way to clean that up. Well, now you've got to go down here to the, the detail shop, and, and you've got to get some professional help to get that mess, made, that mess cleaned up, right? You know, that's the way it is with our Christian life. When we first become Christians, we're on our guard. We're excited about the Lord, right? We're excited. And so we're on guard. We want to live right for Jesus. And we're so excited. And we're on our best behavior. We're on guard. But then as we begin to get comfortable with that, then we start allowing sin to creep in. And this temptation and that little temptation, and we push the limits a little further, a little further, a little further, a little further. And before you know it, We've spilt the Route 44 on the floorboard. We've made a mess of things. We are in sin. We're living in sin. We, we're seeing this pattern of sin in our lives. And you know, at that point in time, it's not something for us to clean up ourselves. We're going to need help. We need help. You know, that's what the church is there for. We're to help one another. We're to restore one another in love and kindness. And so the Spirit-led life is a life that restores the broken. And, and Paul here, he shows us in, in these first couple of verses four ways that we are to restore the broken, restore those who have, who have made mistakes and who have fallen back into a lifestyle of sin. First of all, we're to restore the broken in love. Notice there the first thing he says, brothers, 
Or, or, or you could say brothers and sisters. He uses this familial language. This is not just a group of people. right? This is not a group of people. This is family. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's something that you've got to do. This is the family. You know, you, you decide who your friends are, but you don't decide who your family is, do you? Your family is who, who your family is. And you've got to love them despite what they may do to you. They, they may hurt your feelings, but you've still got to love them because they're your family. And that's the way it is in the church. We're to love one another. We're to care for one another. So as we restore the broken, we're to do it in a spirit of love. We're to love each other like brothers and sisters in Christ, what we truly are in Christ. So we restore in love. Second, we restore in compassion. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. Now I want you to think about that and think about that word caught. Anyone's caught in a transgression. That word caught means, it, it, it kind of gives that, that connotation of, of, of surprise, caught off guard. Well, that's often what Scripture talks about sin, falling into the snares of the devil. Right? The devil, he is out there, he's laying out all of these snares, all of these temptations to entice us, to draw us in. And, and you know, when we're strong and, and we're sure in our faith, we can resist those temptations, but sometimes we get lured, don't we? Man, that looks attractive. And next thing you know, we're, we've gotten too close and now we're caught in the snare of the devil. And that's what Paul is talking about. Anyone's caught in a transgression, caught in sin. They have given in to temptation. They have given in to the enticement. And, and, and now they need help. They're caught. Have you ever seen an animal caught in a trap? Do you just turn to that animal and say, well, look what you got yourself into. You're going to have to gnaw your foot off to get out of that. No. If you're a compassionate person, you're going to try to, to help that animal get out of that trap. And that's why we should be with one another when we see our fellow Christian in, in, trapped in sin. Caught in sin, ensnared in sin. It's not, hey, you better chew your foot off and get yourself out of that predicament. No, you go and help them. You're to have compassion and help them get out of that situation in which they are in. You're to do it with love. You're to do it in compassion. And we're to do it in gentleness. In gentleness. You're to restore in a spirit of gentleness. Not in a spirit of spite. Not in a spirit of, of anger or disappointment or, or whatever. But in a spirit of gentleness. And fourth, we're to do it in sobriety. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Actually, that word there, keep watch, is a participle. So it's an ing word in, in the Greek. And, and so, really, you would read this. If anyone is caught in, a tra in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a, in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So you're to do it. As you restore, you're to do it keeping watch. It almost carries the same strength as that imperative to, to restore the brother. Now, he's saying, keep watch on yourself. Pay attention to yourself. You restore in sobriety. That is, you restore in self-control. You watch yourself because we understand that it's so easy for even us 
to fall into sin and temptation. So we have to be careful as we go to restore our brother and sister in Christ that we not ourselves fall in sin as well. I read this week as I was studying for this, this passage, or studying this passage, I, I read a story of a young man who he went, he heard that his, his Christian brother, a friend of his, was going to a drinking party. And so he decided, well, I need to go rescue him. I need to go restore him. I need to go help him out of that situation. He's making a bad decision. And so this guy, he goes to the drinking party to, to confront his friend and try to get his friend to come out of that, to get away from that, and, and to be on guard against such things. Well, guess what happened? When he went to the drinking party, he ended up, he was there for a good reason. He wanted to help his friend to get his friend out of that situation, but then he took a drink. Next thing you know, he was drunk and, and enjoying the life of the party. All right? We've got to be on guard. We've got to restore with sobriety. Be on guard. Use self-control and guard against falling into those temptations ourselves. So we must restore the broken in love, compassion, gentleness, and sobriety. I want you to notice here, just notice this, that all of this that we're talking about is fruit of the Spirit. We're to restore one another in love, compassion, gentleness, and sobriety. And, and look back up at the fruit of the Spirit in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. That's compassion, isn't it? Compassion would fit right in there. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control with sobriety, sober-mindedness. So we're to restore the broken through the fruit of the Spirit. Loving one another. Caring for one another. Being gentle with one another. And all the time using self-control. Guarding ourselves against the temptations of sin. So Christians are still sinners. We are all still sinners. None of us have arrived. None of us are perfect. We are all still sinners. We are all still given to sin. We still have that temptation to sin. And we can and we will from time to time fall into sin. And when our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ mess up and, and fall into sin, get trapped by Satan's snares, then we are to, to, take, the, to take on the task of lovingly Lovingly restoring one another to our relationship with Christ. So, as Spirit-led Christians, we are to restore the broken. Second, we must bear one another's burdens. We must bear one another's burdens. Uh, what Jason was talking about earlier in the children's uh, message. That word burdens there, we need to, to look at this word, we need to understand this, and this is really going to come in play at the end of this passage, but I want to go ahead and, and define this now. The word burdens here, it literally means a heavy weight or a stone someone has to carry for a distance. So this is a, a massive weight, a heavy weight, too, really too much to bear. And figuratively, in which Paul uses it here, it means a hardship which is regarded as particularly burdensome and exhausting. So this is a heavy weight, a heavy burden, too much for one person to bear. Uh, when I was in boot camp, I remember we did these log drills. 
Uh, maybe you've seen some of these pictures of uh, seeing a different service. Uh, they do it in a lot of the different services. Maybe you've seen it before. But a log drill, uh, you're taken out there and there's a, a huge log laying on the ground. And, and the, the object is to pick that log up and, and you have to set it on your shoulder and, and do all these kind of things with it. Walk with it, hold it over your head, all of these different things with it. And, and you know, when you go down there, now a heavy person, a good, strong, stout person, might can get at the end of that log and kind of lift it up and, and maybe even drag it a few steps if they're really stout. But most people, most people, the average person, can't pick up that log and certainly can't just throw that log up on their shoulders and take off with it. But you know what? A squad of five or six men can easily pick up that log and tote it around. And you see, that's what a burden is. It's a, a weight too heavy for one person to bear. It's too heavy. It's too much to bear for one person. And that's what Paul has in mind here. This is a burden. It's a heavy weight that has been put on someone. And it's too much for them to bear on their own. And Paul says, as the church, you are to bear one another's burdens. We're to help one another out. We're to help each other bear those burdens too hard to bear. And so I want us to see how are we to bear those burdens. One, when we bear one another's burdens, when we help one another with our burdens, then we fulfill the love command. We fulfill the love command. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Paul says. So fulfill the law of Christ. Now what is the law of Christ? Well, if you back up into John's Gospel, John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, Jesus tells His disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are My disciples, if you have love for one another. So we love one another by coming along beside each other when one of us is going through a trial, going through our bur uh, bearing a burden that's just too much for us to bear. People know that we are Christians when we come alongside and we grab a hold of that log and help one another pick that log up and tote it for however long we need to tote it. They know we belong to Christ because that is an act of love. That is an act of compassion. The world, don't, the world doesn't do that. When the world sees someone struggle, oftentimes the world says, man, that's, that's bad. You, you've got a bad situation. But when the church sees that, the church is to come alongside and help, help that brother or sister out. We're to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the love command. But as we do this, we must also do this with humility. We must walk in humility. Look what he says there going on. He says, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he has nothing, he deceives himself. Now this is connected, that, that for in the beginning there connects this to verse 2. 
So bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. What Paul is saying here is that we must walk in humility. We must walk in humility. You see, it, 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 it can, we can come alongside someone and we can see them bearing a burden and we can look at them and say, oh, well, look what mess you've got yourself into. Okay, I'm going to come over here and I'm going to be gracious and help you, right? We can have that kind of attitude. It's your fault. Look at the mess you've gotten into. I'll help at least this time. You can come with that attitude like you would never make that mistake, like you would never get yourself into that situation. We can come at that with an attitude of pride and boasting, thinking so much of ourselves, not realizing that we ourselves could be in that same situation. Take, for instance, drug addiction. Perhaps you look at someone who is in drug addiction and you, you think to yourself, why did you ever get yourself involved in that in the first place? That's, that's pitiful. Why did you ever give in to that? I mean, you must be weak to get into to drugs and get addicted to drugs. And I think about myself. And when I was in high school, especially the latter years of high school, right out of high school, I had some friends who they began to experiment with drugs. And they were close friends of mine. And so guess what happened? They began to tempt me. They began to invite me in. Oh, man, this stuff is so good. It makes you feel like this. It makes you feel like that. You, you need to try some, man. You need to try it. You try it, man. It's awesome. You're going to love it. And they began to tempt and tempt and tempt. Now, at that time, man, I had things were going right. Mary Beth and I, we were serious and, and looking towards marriage, and, and I didn't want to, definitely didn't want to disappoint her. I didn't want to disappoint my parents. I was looking to join the Marine Corps, and so I knew if I took drugs, I would, I would fail the drug test to get in, so I didn't want that. So I was able to back away from that and say, oh, no, thank you. I don't need any of that. And I was able to, to push away from that and resist that temptation. But I, want, I often think to myself, now what if, what if everything was going right, and so it was no big deal for me to turn down the temptation to take drugs at that moment. But what if Mary Beth had broken up with me? At that moment when that temptation was coming at me, what if she had broken up with me? Well, what if the Marine Corps had called up and said, oh, something's out of order here, we, we really don't need you. Well, what if something traumatic had happened in my life in that moment? Would I have been so strong and resisted the temptation? You see, I understand that I could have fallen. I could have given in to the temptation just as easy as anyone else had, had the circumstances stacked, stacked up just right. You see, we can look at someone and say, how, how could you do that? What we need to be doing is saying, thank you God for your grace that you didn't allow me to go down that path that you rescued me from that path. That's the attitude we must take. Not looking at shame, but looking in thanksgiving. Thank you, God. Now let me help them. Let me help them in their weakness. Let me make them strong. So we're to bear one another's burdens. We're to do it in a spirit of love, and we're to do it in a spirit of humility. 
Each one of us will at one point or the other face a burden too heavy for us to bear. If you live long enough, you will face a burden too much for you to bear on your own. Whether it be a struggle with sin, like drug addiction or, or anything else, or whether it be a physical illness, maybe it's a loss of a loved one, maybe there's financial need, each and every one of us, if we live long enough, we will face a burden that's going to be too much for us to bear. And dear friends, that's where the church is to step in. We're to step in and we're to bear one another's burdens. Now I want to brag about this church for a minute. This church is the most giving church, one of the most giving churches I've ever been a part of. And I've seen time and time again in the two and a half, almost three years that I've been here, I've seen time and time again, uh, especially a church member, a lot, oftentimes people outside the church, a need arises, the church learns about it, and the church goes out and they meet the need. They bear the burden. I want to thank you and applaud you, church, for being that example and bearing the burden of other, especially other believers. And I just say, continue on. Continue on. We are to bear the burdens, bear one another's burdens. And you know, the, the primary place that we do that, and we all know this, the primary place that we do this, or the first place that, where this begins, is in life group. It's in life group. That's where it starts, right? Because it, it's hard for us to know one another's burdens in this big group, but in a life group where it's 12, 15 people in that life group, we can bear one another's burdens. We can talk about things. We can share our hurts, our sorrows, and we begin to help one another and bear one another's burdens. So if you're not a part of a life group, let me encourage you, get involved. Find a life group, connect to a life group, and, and get involved there. And then when it's too much for the life group to, to, to bear, then it brought, it's brought into the whole church, and the whole church comes in, and we can all bear it together. We can all get in there, and we can bear whatever burden you're facing. So dear friend, when you're going through, whether it is right now, or whether it's in the future, when you're going through a burden too much for you to bear, don't be ashamed. Bring it to the church. Bring it to your brothers and sisters in Christ and let us help you bear that burden. So we are to restore the broken. The, the, the spirit-led Christian is to restore the broken, to bear one another's burdens. And third, we are to engage in self-examination. We are to engage in self-examination. Read verses 4 and 5 with me there. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, with what we just said, what is Paul talking about here? I mean, I had to ask that question. It seems contradictory, right? We're to bear one another's burdens. We're not to do, be proud about that, uh, not to do that in pride. Now he's telling us to bear our own load. Is he contradicting himself? Is he speaking out both sides of his mouth here? No, that's not what he's doing. In fact, uh, later on here, he, he further uh, talks against sinful pride. He says, verse 14, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So uh, we're not to boast in ourselves. But now he says now, that each one should test his own work, 
and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. So what's the deal here? What's Paul talking about? Well, for us to fully understand these two verses here, we need to understand, uh, first of all, what, uh, what he's talking about. And we have to define that word load. Load. That's key to understanding these two verses. The word load there uh, simply means a, a man's pack or a backpack. Right? So earlier, he, or, or in the verses before this, he uses the term burdens. Burdens. So a burden is something too heavy to bear. Too heavy for one person to bear. Now he says, now each one must carry his own load, his own backpack. Let me go back to the marine analogy for a little bit there. Uh, in the Marine Corps, we had those squad log drills that we had to do where we all came alongside and we all had to pick up that log and we all had to tote it for away together, right? It was a, a burden that all of us had to bear together. But at the same time, we were all issued backpacks. Packs that we had to load our own gear in and tote it around. And we had to take it wherever we went. And so all had our own load there was the burden and then there was the load each person had his own load to bear and so that's the difference that we're talking about here there are certain things there are burdens in life that are are too much for any one person to bear and we're to share those burdens but then in the christian life there are loads we have certain things that we have to carry ourselves. We have certain responsibilities in life that God has given us to, to bear ourselves. Uh, other people can't bear those burdens or bear those loads for us. Uh, think about spiritual gifts, for example. I've been called to, to preach. I've been gifted with the gift of preaching. And so that's my task here as a senior pastor. My job is to preach and to, to guide this church in, in the way the Lord wants the church to go. And so that's my responsibility. That's my load to bear. And Jason can't bear that load. He can preach from time to time and fill in for me when I go on vacation and those types of things. But he cannot bear the burden of being the senior or the load of being a senior pastor. That's my load to bear. No one else can bear that. Uh, others, you've been given the gift of, of prayer. And, and other people haven't been given that, that gift. Now, all of us pray, right? But if your gift is to pray, if your gift, if you're specially gifted with the gift of prayer, then you have to bear that load. That's your load to bear. That's your responsibility. You're to pray for the life of the church. If you've been given the, the, the gift to, um, to teach, you can't talk, look at your students in life group and, and expect them to teach. That's your load to bear. You have to teach. And so each one of us have been given a load to bear, our own responsibility to take care of. And so we must be careful to take care of our own load. Uh, one one uh, author provides a, few, a series of scenarios that might help clarify this even further. Let me ask you these, or let me present these scenarios, and you tell me, is it a load or is it a burden? A young man who constantly gets up late for work or school because he stays up late playing video games all night. Ask if you will wake him up every morning so that he doesn't lose his job or flunk out of school. Is that a burden or a load? Load. It's a load, right? He needs to take responsibility. He needs to go to bed at a decent hour. And he needs to set an alarm clock. That is a load. 
A self-employed businessman works 12 hours a day, including Saturdays, and asks you to take his son to all of his baseball practices, all of his baseball games. Is that a burden or a load? It's a load. It's a load. He is a father, and he has to take responsibility for his children. He has to spend time with his kids. He can't put it off on someone else because he's a workaholic. It's a load. It's a load. Now, what about a husband abandons his wife for another woman, leaving her with four kids? She needs help meeting daily responsibilities. Is that a burden or a load? It's a burden. It's a burden. She didn't ask for that. It's a burden. An older, faithful church member gets sick and is having a hard time. She needs help with meals, transportation, and occasional living expenses. Is that a burden or a load? It's a burden. You see the difference? There's burdens too much for us to bear where we as a family of God come alongside one another and we bear one another's burdens. But then there's loads. There's certain responsibilities that we have to, to take upon ourselves. And so what Paul is telling us here is that we're to engage in self-examination. We need to look at our own lives. We need to start asking questions of ourselves. Are we bearing the load that God has given us to bear? And as we begin to examine ourselves, this does two things. First of all, we self-examine to restrain pride. We do this to restrain pride, but let each one test, examine his own work, and then his reason to boast will, not be, will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. This restrains pride. You see, we can look at someone else and see how they're dealing with life, see how they're dealing with their loads or their struggles, and we begin on this, uh, on this thing of a habit of, of comparison, self comparing ourselves to others, looking at others, and, and oh, well, yeah, I'm doing much better than that person, right? I, I'm in a much better position than, than he is or she is, and we can begin to get kind of proud of ourselves. Building ourselves up. But Paul says, no, uh-uh-uh, don't, don't get into this habit of, of comparing yourself to others. Uh, your standard is not others. Your standard is God and what God has given you to do. So you need to look at yourself. You need to look at, at the task God has given you. And how are you doing in that? Not how better off are you than so-and-so, but how are you doing are you doing what God has called you to do? Are you bearing the load God has given you to bear even in the life of the church? We must engage in self-examination to restrain pride and self. And second, we must engage in self-examination to restrain abuse. To restrain abuse for each will have to bear his own load. You know, we can get in this habit of, of saying, oh man, this is a hard load to bear. And we start trying to turn our loads into burdens. And we, we start taking advantage of other people and their kindness. Uh, something like this happened in the church of Thessalonica. In the church of Thessalonica, uh, people there, believers there, began to, uh, they, they began to look at 
uh, at the return of Christ, and they began to expect Christ to come back at, at any moment. And we should all be looking, uh, living as if Christ will return in the next few minutes because He might. Right? His return is imminent. It can happen at any time. Well, the, the Christians, some of the Christians in Thessalonica, they began to think, well, he's going to return just any minute now. So uh, what's the use in working? What's the use in going out and, and working for a living so that we can provide for our families? I mean, it's all going to be over tomorrow. He's going to return. So they got lazy. They began to sit around. And so Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, <clears throat> For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons will we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. We must be careful not to try to take advantage of anyone. Are we bearing our own load? Are we doing what God has called us to do? Are we being responsible for our part of the ministry in the life of the church? Are we being faithful? No one person can bear the full burden of the church on their own shoulders. Each person must examine themselves to ensure that they are carrying their portion of the load. Are you doing your part? Are you doing your part? Are you carrying your load? Are you simply taking advantage of others? Are you engaged or are you involved in the life of the church? Are you tithing? Are you using your spiritual gifts? Are you using your talents to further uh, the kingdom of God and the community that God has made you a part of? A Spirit-led life is a life fully engaged in a community of believers. That is, a Spirit-led life is a life fully engaged in the church, in the life of the church. A life that is focused on restoring the broken, bearing one another's burdens, and engaged in self-evaluation. Are you living a Spirit-led life today, dear Christian? Are you living day-to-day -day, a spirit-led life in your own life today there are some here who are going through a season of brokenness you're going through a hard time you're going through a struggle and it's more than you can bear bring it to the church let us help you walk through this season let us help you carry that burden let us help you some some of you are, uh, you're, you're, you need to respond today by committing to get involved in, in the, the life of the church. You're not involved in a life group. You're, you're not doing the things that you need to do. So you need to commit today to get involved. Get, find a life group. Be a part of it. Others, they, others are here. You, you need to respond by committing to, to carry your own load. You haven't been tithing. 
You haven't been using your spiritual gifts and your talents in the way God would have you to use them. You need to get engaged. You need to get committed to the life of the church. There's others. You're here and you need Jesus Christ. You're not engaged because you've not been reborn. You, you've not been transformed. You've, you haven't ever responded to the gospel. And today the message that you need to hear is that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Maybe you're drawn here today because you're going through something in your own life. You're, you're in a season of brokenness and, and you're looking for a way out. You're looking for something, someone to help you. And the place where you've got to start is turning to Jesus. Jesus died to free, free you from the biggest burden of your life, the burden of sin, and the burden of the condemnation of sin. And today, you need to respond by giving your life to Jesus. Just turning to Him. Trust in Him. He's paid the price for you. Trust in Him and give your life over to Him. And He will bring you to the family who will come alongside you and help you and bear that burden with you and help you find a new life in Jesus. Today, would you turn to Jesus? Will you give your life to Him? Trust in Him today? He'll bear that burden for you. He'll deliver you from whatever you're going through. You'll trust in Him. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You that You have given us the church. Lord, as imperfect as we are, Lord, we know that we are sinners only saved by grace. We're not perfect. We have plenty of flaws. But Lord, when we, when we fall into sin, Lord, You have given us the church, a, a body of brothers and sisters in Christ who are there to lovingly and gently restore us and and even help us in those times of burdens. Lord, we thank You for the church. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would be faithful to, to do our part. To make the church the visible representation of Your kingdom here on this fallen earth. And Lord, I know there's those here today that have never trusted in Jesus. They're broken. They're hurting inside, Lord. Show them the peace, the love, the deliverance that You have in Christ Jesus our Lord. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.